Open your Bibles tonight, if you would, to the book of Mark. We'll be coming from uh, Mark 11. In preparation for the services here, this uh, passage just kept moving into my heart and into my mind. And so I have no doubt that this is the intention of the Lord relative to the word of the Lord for tonight. Mark chapter 11, verses 12, 13, and 14, and we'll take our text from there this evening. If you found it, say amen. Amen. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he, meaning Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. I just want that to sink in. An expectation of what was supposed to be there led to the realization of the only thing that was there. He found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Now, we'll try to explain that as we travel through, and it's vital that in this day and age we grab a hold of the reality of what is being said there. Verse 14, And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And I want to minister tonight a message entitled, Out of Season Fruit. Out of Season Fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I ask, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into the proclamation of your word. We pray and ask for the Spirit of God to come, the true preacher and teacher to come, the one that makes preaching and teaching easy. And Father, we're asking that you would open our eyes to see your truth by that same spirit. And for this, we will give you all the praise and all the glory. And we all said, amen. Amen. And amen. I'm going to interchange these passages tonight a little bit with John 15 as well. Because it was there where Jesus made this statement to his disciples. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And the challenge to all of us sitting here tonight, to every single believer, to every single Christian, is that we need to become fruit-bearing entities. We need to be examples not only to the world, but also to one another as to what Christianity ought to produce, what Christianity ought to provide, both for the individual that is born again and saved and dominated by the Spirit of God and how that should impact the world around us. We need to have something to offer both each other and the world that is lost and hurting. And there needs to be something happening on the inside of us. We need a little bit of out of season fruit, out of season fruit. The Bible says that on the morrow, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. And this is the very last week of Jesus's life. This is the very last opportunity for the word that was made flesh and dwell among us to walk among men and to give examples and teaching. And Jesus never did anything by accident. It was never, never not by the design of the Father. So everything had a point. Everything had a purpose. Every statement. He's the only man ever lived that could literally say, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear my father saying it. And so as he 
steps between Jerusalem and Bethany where he was in his last week. He would go into Jerusalem during the day, make his way out of Jerusalem towards Bethany or the Mount of Olives in the evening. He's walking by a, a tree, a fig tree, and he sees a fig tree. And here's something that we should probably point out. A fig tree usually isn't expected to bring forth fruit in the first three to five years. Anybody that's ever worked with fruit trees understands that the development of the tree isn't quite ready yet. The development of the tree needs time to not just put roots in the ground, but be solid, have nutrients moving up through the stems, up through its li the life-giving force that comes from the water and, it, and from the soil. And it takes time to develop, but there comes a time when there needs to be the evidence of why that tree is created. And in the sense of a fig tree and other fruit trees or fruit-bearing trees, the purpose of a fruit-bearing tree is to... Bear fruit. Thank you. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's horticulture. It's basic. If it's an apple tree, we expect it to bring forth... Apple. And if it's a pear tree, we're looking for, thank you. So he's operating in, a, in the belief that from the distance, he sees a fig tree and he's hungry. And on the, on the fig tree, you have to understand there are two or three seasons in any given year that a fig tree would bring forth fruit. Now, the first fruit, the first evidence of fruit that was being produced was just a little green bud. And it was oftentimes referred to as foods for peasants because travelers could go by, um, it wasn't a McDonald's drive through but the next best thing, you could walk up to the tree and grab a hold of those buds and the sustenance from the buds would sustain you. It would help you. It would strengthen you. You would be able to move forward and thus the tree fulfills its purpose. A tree has to fulfill its purpose, be what it's there to be. And in April, which is the time frame in which Jesus was there, it was the time of the first growing of fruit. Now, the bud was the first fruit, the first crop of the year. The second crop would have been a full fig, a fig that was sweet to eat, a fig that was fully matured from the tree. But here's the truth. If the buds in the first season didn't show up, it was evidence that there would be no fruit later. Now, I want that to sink in a second. If in the first few months of its uh, supposedly harvest-giving crop, help us, Lord, in the first few months of the time frame when it was supposed to be producing fruit, if it failed to produce the first fruit, it would never produce the secondary fruit that was even better in the future. And Jesus was expecting to find the first fruit in the existence of a tree that was designed to bring it forth. And so he walks forward. And again, it's not the time of the fig tree. It's not the time of the fig leaves. And, and I'll say it the way that the Bible says in the King James. He says, it's not the time of figs. But it was time for the buds. It was time for the first fruit, but it wasn't time for the final fruit. It was time for the first fruit, but it wasn't time for the final fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to bring an analogy. In our lives, it's time for the first fruit. I said it's time for the first fruit. I said it's time for the first fruit. If we're going to operate in an existence that God has designed us to actually be a help to people, we've got to have the first fruit. Because if there's no first fruit, there's a guarantee there won't be any second fruit. There's no, not going to be any second fruit because there's no life flowing through that as it is that needs to produce or bring about um, the, the fruit that is necessary. Now, interestingly enough, there's a presence of leaves. So life of some sort has been flowing through this particular tree, but there's no fruit just the presence of leaves. And the, pre and the, and the leave is a, a promise that there should be some fruit there, that there could be 
the potential of life-giving fruit, example-setting fruit, freedom-giving fruit, life-giving fruit should be there, that the leaves are there. But I'm afraid that so oftentimes in the modern church, all we're looking for is the leaves. And that's all we get. And anybody can come to church and be a leave. We can look good. We know how to shout. We know how to play. We know how to sing. We know just when to speak in tongues. We know how to dress. We know how to act. We know what religion looks like in a modern-day charismatic Pentecostal full gospel, old-time gospel atmosphere. We have everybody represented tonight, old, young, new, black, white, and different. I think there's one even polka-dotted in the back. Don't look. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I am thrilled at that because that's the way that it ought to be. But the church doesn't just need trees with leaves. Leaves that look to promise them the presentation of fruit or the actual presence of fruit. See, the presence of, of leaves indicates, that, again, that there has been some life, but religion can provide that with you. Let me, let me warn you against something. Yes, come on. The, the process of learning through theology and knowledge is vital. Learning the Bible is vital. Learning about the Bible is vital. I'm standing here, I just started my 32nd year as a professor at Jimmy Swigert Bible College. I believe in knowledge. I believe in theology. But sadly, the problem is that when we depend upon what we know and we're so sure of our doctrine, which we certainly need, I have to tell you that proper knowledge and proper doctrine doesn't guarantee the presence of fruit. It can just be leaves. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we can know the truth. We can hear the truth, and we can even nod our heads and say, yes, I believe. Pastor told my, told my story better than I tell it. I'm going to have to take him around with me so he can tell it. But the whole process of it is you can know something and not know God. You can experience the knowledge of Christ and not know Christ. I did that. As a youth, as a young man, or a young boy growing up, I grew up hearing the Bible. We went to church every single service the time it was open, the doors were open. I went to church as an eight-year-old, walked down an aisle and said, yes, I believe in Jesus as a Savior, and was water baptized. And I was as unsaved as so many other people in the church. I had knowledge in theology, but it wasn't until the night that Pastor Asher described that I became aware that I was a sinner Come on. Come on. and that I desperately needed a savior, not just knowledge of religion, not just theology. I had to have an, I had to have an, an actual reality check in my inner man that said, Lauren, you're in the mess that you're in because you have held up your fist in the face of Almighty God and you wouldn't let him in. You wouldn't let him encounter your life. And I didn't see myself as a sinner. I, he said it, the beginning of knowledge or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, by the time I got to chapter 7, he had written seven things that God hated and I was doing them all. And you talk about the fear of God coming over you, but the, here's the reason. I, I went from theology, theology and knowledge of Christ to the realization of why I needed Christ, why I had to have him, that I was a sinner, lost and undone, and that I was in a state that I was in with a broken heart and, a, and, and the loss of all five fingers and just a broken life, a drug addict and a, and a drunk because of the fact that I 
hadn't let him in. I hadn't let him do what only God can do to come in and transform me into what he wanted me to become. Oh, I had theology. I had knowledge. I had leaves. Don't you remember that Adam and Eve were dressed in leaves? We... I don't know how big fig leaves are, but man. I'm getting an image I shouldn't have in church. But if, you, if they're tiny, look how hard we would work to sew the leaves together and still not know God. And then cover ourselves with leaves and say, we're okay. And the truth of it is, we're not. So out of season fruit is not an unusual thing. It's an expected thing in the mind of Jesus. Out of season fruit was the season before the final season of harvest. And may I, maybe it's too big of an analogy to draw, but there's a moment in time coming, ladies and gentlemen, when the trump of God is going to sound. And those of us that have experienced the first fruits will have the fullness of what God had for us. But as believers right now, we simply have the first fruits of the Spirit. We are the first fruits. And so possibly what Jesus was looking for in this tree is the very thing that he ought to find in you and I tonight. Out of season fruit. It's not the season of the end, but he's still expecting with his great sacrifice and with his provision. And with what he provides, he's still expecting us to be producing fruit, which is the first evidence of a fruit that is to come. Are you following me? So out of season fruit is simply the fruit that we ought to be seeing in our own lives. The Bible says that we uh, are in fact the first fruits of the spirit, Romans 8, 23. James 1 and 18 says of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, you know what fruit is. Every single one of you, you got leaves, <laughs> You know what the fruit of the Spirit is. If I asked you to give it to me, you'd probably rip it right off. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But the only way to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and let me say this, what we're looking for is the presence, listen, it's the presence of God's nature and character yes. birthed within the framework of flesh. Yeah. Very good. And sinful flesh at that. Now, see, hear what I'm saying. The very essence of God's character, his nature, permeating this that I am and creating a character and nature that can now be expressed towards humanity, yeah. both saved and lost. The, the nature and character of God is what Jesus died to provide us with. It's not about externals. It's about the internal that impacts the external. Not just leaves, but from the inside of us as the internal is changed, as we become something other than what we started out as, God begins to work in us and transform us into his nature and his character. That's what being born again is supposed to provide for us. Now, I'm very strong in this. There's only one way to get saved. There's not a dozen. It's not based on what we do. 
It's not based on what we belong to. It's not based on where we come from, but it's based on the knowledge that we're sinners and Jesus, the son of God who loved us, came to this world and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And when he did that, he paid the penalty for my sin and broke the power of sin's grip over us. And when I say yes to him, he comes in, he regenerates me, he recreates me. I'm immersed into the person of Christ. I'm baptized into Christ. Not talking about water baptism. I'm baptized into Christ. I'm crucified with him. I'm buried with him. I'm raised up with him. And now I live in him. And in me is a new source of power, a new source of life. You can't get this through theology and knowledge. It has to be an experience. You have to hear the message, but you can't be saved any other way. And salvation brings us to every single one who submits to it. But God doesn't just save us to let us go our own merry way and to walk around in leaves. He saves us to bring the uh, potential of God's character and nature to be expressed in us, to be expressed through us. You'll be feeling it and then you express it. You'll be becoming something and then you'll express it. Many in the church are faking it till they make it and they're not making it. And I don't mean to look in any direction so I'll just look at myself. Now, I'll be honest with you. In, if you're in church and if you're in Pastor Weber's church, please fake it till you make it. But faking it doesn't cut it. We've been faking it too long. Acting out a role we know we're supposed to act. Talking like we're supposed to talk. But when Jesus comes to inspect the tree that he's expecting to see fruit on, is he seeing an exhibition of the nature and character of God? Or is he just seeing flesh dressed up in leaves? He's looking for some out-of-season fruit, the first fruits. And we can't provide him with that. Not on our own. You can't be changed through religious activity and religious works any more than you can be saved through religious activity and religious works. You can't provide yourself with the nature and character of God. It has to be a constant renewing that God does in the inward man that's been recreated. When you got born again, that's the first step, the first stage into becoming as a nature and character of God. But you're far from, okay, I'm far from it. I know you've already graduated. Me, I'm back here trying to produce those little green nodules that pass as first fruits. The nature and the character of God is an impossibility for the unsaved to experience, but it's an impossibility, listen to me, it's an impossibility for the saved man or woman, boy or girl to provide for themselves. So we come to the dilemma of what it means to be a Christian. And that dilemma is how do we provide or how do we see to it, because it's our responsibility, how do we see to it that what Christ is wanting to produce in us is produced in us? It's our job to make sure it happens. It's our job to make sure that it's occurring. So if the nature and character of God is actually pushing, is, is actually working in me, it will be expressed towards others. So there's the litmus test, isn't it? So how well are you getting along with your family? Co-workers, friends, 
Does those that you love oftentimes see the highest exhibition of flesh from you, or do they see the nature and character of God? How are you doing there? Don't answer. We'll be running interviews of spouses later. And if you lie to me, I'll make your hand look like mine. It takes the nature and character of God actively placed within the framework of a human being to treat your spouse right, to respond right, to express carefully, patiently what it is that you need to talk about. Christian marriages are in trouble because we've got leaves, but not fruit. A Christian marriage can't make it without the nature and character of God, not just memorized, but actively living and working in the heart of that individual and then later expressed. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you were put into inspection tonight and Jesus was walking by, is he going to find a leaf or is he going to find fruit? How do you treat the lost, your neighbors, the rebellious, the haters. Is the nature and the character of God expressing what needs to be expressed towards them no matter how you look to yourself? See, we're so concerned about how we look and how we come across and sometimes even what we stand for, that we subdue and press down the nature and character of God that needs to be expressed even when we have it being formed in us. But Jesus is looking for some out-of-season fruit. So you have to ask yourself, check yourself. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and, 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 and check. How do you deal with family, coworkers, other Christians you go to church with? There's a test for you. (laughs) Do you love everybody in your church? Or would you like to push them off a cliff and tell God they slipped? (laughs) Okay, I see some of you are having visions of people (laughs) slipping. We're laughing, but that's not the nature and character of God. See, those are evidences that internally I'm not experiencing everything that I need. It doesn't mean that we're not experiencing some things. But this is a time frame where out-of-season fruit needs to be surfacing in us. Remember, if there's no fruit now, there won't be any later. How do you deal with other believers that don't agree with you in doctrine? Do you immediately decide they're not saved? Careful. Careful. Remember, the requirements for salvation are the same for them as they were for you. If a person accepts Christ as his Savior, her Savior, they become a part of this wonderful conglomeration of people that God has cleansed. They may not look like you. They may not talk like you. They may not dress like you. They may not worship like you. They may not have the same songs that you sing. They may not think totally like you think, 
But none of those are requirements for salvation. And wouldn't it be interesting if underneath their leaves we found more fruit than under your leaves? But how do you deal with people that disagree with you? We have to be careful, ladies and gentlemen. The nature and character of God demands that we investigate and that we're very careful in what we believe. I'm not saying that we don't guard what we believe. That's not what I'm saying. But are you looking at people with the same view as your heavenly father? Remember, fruit of the spirit is the nature and character of God, first of all, embedded in the heart of the individual and then expressed freely, not from a, I have to do this, but this is what I am. So what we want is to have ourselves so changed that what we are is expressing the nature and character of God. That's the first fruit. That's the out-of-season fruit. It's out-of-season because most of the world isn't going to be able to produce it. Sadly, most of the church isn't able to produce it either. So I come to you and then I ask, do you know how fruit is supposed to grow? If this is what we're supposed to be, then we should know how fruit grows. Well, in this, I jumped to John 15, and Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. So if you want fruit, that is fruit of the Spirit, the actual nature and character of God, then it's not brought about by labor, it's brought about by abiding. So I guess we better really figure out what does it mean to abide in Christ? Because that's the only way that this fruit is going to be manufactured from the internal, from the inside, really impacting us. Jesus said, abide in me and I will produce it because you can't produce it. Now, we go back to the figure here, not of a fig tree, but of a vine. And we are the branch. The vine is the source of life. And it feeds up to the branch. And first there are leaves, and then there is fruit. Why? Because there's life coming up from the vine to the branch. You have to be fed the nature and character of God by the person of the Holy Spirit. So now you have to ask yourself another question. If abiding is what produces the moving in of the Holy Spirit, how do I abide? How do I abide? How do I abide? How is it that I abide? What does it mean to abide? Well, it means to dwell. It means to make yourself at home. It's, I don't know what you do, but when I'm home on the weekend, the old raggedy t-shirt's coming on, the sweats are coming on, the old funky uh, everything is coming on, and I'm throwing my feet up, up on the table and laying back in the couch and I'm making myself at home. I am abiding. I'm resting. God wants us to abide, and abiding means to literally rest, to depend, to trust, to rely, to be comfortable with that. God wants us comfortable with what he has provided for us in Christ, not with what we can provide for ourselves. Oh, man, we've tried to pray it in. We've tried to fast it in. We've tried to shout it in. We've had all kinds of teachings. But abiding goes back to what we refer to as the message of the cross. There's only one way of salvation, and there's only one way to abide, and that's through the measure of faith allowing your faith to rest in Christ and what he's done for us at Calvary. That's what causes and allows the Holy Spirit to move freely in you. If you work or labor for reward, you're basically telling the Holy Spirit, you have to produce fruit in me because I, and then you give in your little work. 
You put in your 45 minutes of prayer, your 21 days of fasting, your consecration, your dedication, your obedience. You fill in the blank and you say, okay, now that I've done this, then you have to. Now, you wouldn't say it that way, but if your faith is in what you do, that's what you're saying. Romans 4 says God doesn't work from, the, from, the, from a platform of debt. He's not going to give you something because he owes you. He's not going to work in us because we've earned it. He's going to provide for us what Christ has provided for us through his coming to this earth, dying on Calvary, raising from the dead, ascending to the heavens, and sending back the Holy Spirit to live in us. The Holy Spirit's not in us to glorify us in our religious activity. He's not here to aggrandize leaves. He's here to aggrandize Christ. And when you look at the scheme of how God works, you recognize the need for the moving of the Holy Spirit, life in you to rise up within you and produce what you can't produce. But you don't earn that production. You don't labor for that production. You rest in what Christ has done. Your faith is in Jesus and what he has accomplished for you at Calvary. Your faith is directed towards him. You're resting, you're trusting, and he works in you. Now, when he works in you, I guarantee you, get this right. If you know the message of the cross, get this right. When he works in you, you're going to see consecration. You're going to see dedication. You're going to see um, uh, obedience. You're going to see uh, all these things that are a result of the Holy Spirit's working because now the nature and character of God is being worked in you as you abide in Christ, as you rest in him. He said, without me, you can do nothing. And you can't buy the fruit of the Spirit by selling your religious leaves. It doesn't fly. God's not buying it. Jesus already paid the price for you to have salvation, to have the fruit of the Spirit. You can have all that he's given you to everything that you need is in him and what he has done for you at Calvary. Everything that you need is there. So my faith has to rest in him. And as it does, he works in me. And as a result, I work. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So faith and grace is always the way that God works in us. But if faith and grace is a reality, then verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship. Now, what we are becoming is what he is creating, and he will only create as you rest in him, as you trust in him, as you abide in him, as you learn to, learn to just believe that God is able to change you from what you are into what you need to become. Some of us are just the same that we were 40 years ago because we've tried to change ourselves, and it just gets frustrating. Then we just sit in service with our leaves on. And we're laughing, but I'm crying. Because when the person next to you needs to see the nature and the character of God, all he's getting is leaves, theology, knowledge but not the presence of the Spirit of God, not the presence of the heart of God, not the reaction of God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The power of the Holy Spirit is in every believer. Every born-again believer is the recipient of God's Spirit. Pentecostals, and I am Pentecostal, you need to get this right. The Spirit of God enters and it works immediately upon regeneration and salvation. 
conforming us into the image of Christ. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, is an event, a second subsequent work for service so that we might carry out the work of the Lord under the anointing power of God. That's its purpose. But being born again is what provides us with the opportunity to be transformed into the image of Christ. Some of us as Pentecostals have put our faith in the baptism with the Holy Spirit as the agent of change. It's not. It's the cross. It's what Christ did there. That's what made it available to us. We don't negate the baptism with the Holy Spirit as Pentecostals, but we need to learn that the power of God is the resolve to change us into what we need to become is resident within every born-again believer. Yes. And if they place their faith in Christ and what he's done, then the nature and character of God will be birthed in them as they operate properly, they abide. It's no longer I that Christ, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live, how do I live it? What does it mean to abide? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live, I live by the faith. I live by the faith. I live by the faith. What's your faith in, Brother Larson? The one who loved me and gave himself for me. Say it another way. My faith is in Jesus and what he did for me at Calvary. How do I live? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm being transformed because my faith is centered in him and what he has done. I'm abiding, I'm dwelling, I'm resting in that. And he is, as I rest, working in me, working in me the nature and the character of the living God. This is supernatural. This is something outside of the ability of man. But this is what God did for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Don't change it. Don't exchange it for fig leaves. Get a hold of what provides us with fruit. Dwell in the presence of God. Experience the presence of God. Depend upon him. This whole whole process is simply learning to lean. Right? This is what abiding is. It's learning to rely on something outside of ourselves, not laboring in religion, but relying. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. Learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Sad, broken-hearted, at an altar I knelt. I found there sweet peace so serene. And all that he asks is a child like trust and a heart that is learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean, learning to lean. On Jesus, finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean 
to provide for me. I believe that what Calvary did was cut a covenant that guarantees what God would do and what he asks of me is to believe. And when I believe, then the character and nature of God becomes to my heart and becomes what I am. I'm not having to pretend anymore. It's how I really feel. God, I'm beginning to learn to feel as God feels, to think as God thinks, to respond as God responds. This ain't religion, folk. This is supernatural power and change. This is what brings forth the first fruits. This is what brings forth the love, the peace, the joy. Is it I'm learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean on Jesus. Power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lead. Heavenly Father, help us today. Would you come right?
Now, there's a distinct danger that I need to be making you aware of. When he comes back, or as he walks by you right now, he's inspecting that tree. In our text, Jesus looks at the fig tree and curses it and said, no man will ever eat from you again. Because at a time where there was supposed to be fruit, at a time where there was supposed to be something that would provide life for someone else, the tree had not lived up to its purpose. Do we really believe that every virgin that runs out of oil, every tree that doesn't bring forth fruit is going to be cast out and cut down? Then what I've said to us tonight as a people of God is far more important than just a theological, knowledgeable amen. There's something on the inside of us that needs to change. And God is in the process of changing. No matter how far he's brought us, there's still a long way to go. No matter where we might see ourselves tonight, the nature and character of God has still not been apprehended or attained. So like Paul, we've got to continue to press in. And as he changes us, love for God, obedience, consecration, dedication, all of that is part. But I can tell you that the most outstanding virtue of the fruit that needs to be in your life is how you treat other people and how you put God first. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. It can't be done through religion. It's not accomplished just through knowledge. It can only be accomplished as you rest and trust in who he is and what he's done. As you go to him daily, the same way you did on the first day you came to him. As you have received him, so walk ye in him. With the same attitude, with the same desperation, and with the same need, we live out this life so that we might bring forth out of season fruit and be prepared for the second, the second season to bring forth an even greater fruit. So the challenge is there, it's strong. But I pray tonight that you're learning to lean. I pray tonight that you've been challenged but also not left without hope because the process is something you can do. It's something you can embrace, but you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn to lean. Learn to lean on Christ, who he is and what he's done, and let him do in you what you can't do for yourself.